You are now listening to the December 21st broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Walking Our Talk, Grace Upon Grace, and Understanding Israel. First, let's begin with Walking Our Talk. Welcome to Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller. Join our conversation as we discuss practical ways to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life and help you walk your talk one step at a time. Hello, this is Alan Heller, and we are talking today. We're preparing for Christmas time. It's a really great time. This is the time of year when families get together only to find out that nobody has changed and that their expectations of a joyful reunion were about as realistic as a second virgin birth. As I said, this is Alan Heller. We're walking our talk. We're trying to talk about uh, something that happens every year where People are looking forward to a wonderful holiday and yet find themselves a little bit uh, skeptical. So every year, the family congregates, our family congregates. One of the things we do is we recognize that they don't know the Lord. And we've learned not to take things so personally, although it's hard. Uh, And even though it's very painful at times, many of uh, my family members opinions are just simply a natural woman or a natural man's point of view. And of course, they don't know the things of the Spirit. So secondly, Paulie and I have committed to stay connected with our families to demonstrate love by connecting with them at least once a year for a week. And we want to be examples of God's truth, and even when it's not comfortable, to just love them in the Lord. And third, we pray a lot before we go. We get others to pray for us too and let people know, hey, we're going on this trip and we're going to be talking with people that have pretty diametrically opposed issues to us and we just want them to feel our love. So how are you going to deal with your family this season? We suggest asking the Lord to help make the best of it and thanking him that you have a family to get together with. Even maybe telling them uh, how much you love them, no matter how dysfunctional they may be. You may need to establish some boundaries, though, to be healthy. And maybe it's just with certain ones, certain relatives, that you just need to sort of figure out, how do I deal with this person? You may need to establish boundaries with certain family members, or you may need to just hang in there and look for God's purpose for you as you are with them. Perhaps God has put you where you're to be used by him in their lives. Uh, Even if there's conflict, sometimes the very thing, like I remember a time where uh, my sister who has Uh, two kids, uh, one a female, and she is lesbian, and her son is a homosexual. And I remember one time her son was, he graduated from Juilliard, and he is a very accomplished 
ballet person, and he was going to do a show in the Boston area. And I just said, you know, Martha, let us know. Or maybe it was in New York. And I said, Martha, let us know when it's going to happen. And she started crying. <laughs> and I didn't know why she was crying. And she said, well, I, I just knew you don't like, you know, what Zach is a part of and all this sort of thing. I just said, Martha, I love you. I love Zach. Uh, no, I don't believe what it is that he's into, but I love him. He's family. And so if we can overlook, you know, Proverbs says, love covers a multitude of sins. So if you can overcome that, you may have an impact on your family. So God may use you to bless somebody this year in your family that you didn't even think of. And may your major or the major on the things that are important rather than taking all this time to disagree about things that, you know, you're not going to change. We need to accept the, the holidays many times hurt. It's just a painful time because we have such high expectations of coming together and loving each other. And then there are arguments and conflicts and we have a hard time just being able to understand what the other person is about. One of the things that is real helpful to do during this time is to just make a plan, a game plan. As you go into the holidays, what are the things you need to stay away from? Maybe for you, caffeine or alcohol can be a very difficult substance. And so maybe you want to say, here are my boundaries with this. And it can be, for some, it can be just a, a very depressing season. The Mayo Clinic gives some tips to prevent holiday stress and depression. When stress is at, at its peak, it's hard to stop and regroup. You know, you try to prevent the stress and depression in the first place, especially if the holidays have taken an emotional toll on you in the past. So first of all, we need to acknowledge our feelings. If someone close to you has recently died or you can't be with a particular loved one this year, realize that it's normal to feel sad. One time I said to somebody, you know, the reason why you feel so sad is because you are. And so we didn't, none of us, I don't have anybody that comes into my office and says, Alan, uh, help me have more pain or help me feel worse. Everybody wants to feel better and not have to deal with pain. The other thing is to reach out. Sometimes it's really helpful if you feel lonely or isolated to seek out community. It could be your church or it could be a social event with close friends that you really can enjoy. Uh, you might want to volunteer your time at a soup kitchen. You might help others who they don't feel good either, but you might be able to lift their spirits by doing something for them. Three, we need to be realistic. The holidays don't have to be perfect, just like last year. I mean, what happens is we edit in our mind what happened last year and or the year before or uh, in our childhood. And sometimes we just need to put those things away. I remember sending an email to my brother who happens to be very opposite of my thinking. And 
I just said we have 80% of our life that we can talk about, and then there's political views and religious views that are very difficult. But in 47 years, you haven't changed me, and I haven't changed you. And Bruce, could we take some time and just talk about other things? And he said, what other things? And I said, well, you have family, you have social things you go to, you have plays and operas, and there are all kinds of things we can talk about. And so you might need to be a little more creative in trying to stay away from the things that we don't do well with and try to stay in the lane of the things that we enjoy and agree upon. For example, if your adult children can't come to your house this year, find a new way to celebrate together, such as maybe sharing pictures over We have our iPhones, we can send pictures or emails or even send a video with the family that's gathered as well as you who or the other person that's in another place. Number four, set aside your differences. Try to accept family members and friends as they are, even if they don't live up to your expectations. Set aside those grievances just like we were talking about and be understanding if others get upset or distressed, just purpose not to react to them because that can start causing stress and the stress leads to anxiety and the anxiety leads to depression. Don't abandon healthy habits. Don't let the holidays become a free-for-all of overindulgence that only adds to your stress and guilt. And uh, don't go overboard on sweets or drinks incorporate regular physical activity. You know, the three basics really are eating, sleeping, and exercise. And trying to maintain those during the holiday season can be a challenge, but it also can be really helpful. Number seven, take a breather. Make some time for yourself. Don't be so... uh, that many times there are so many parties, we just feel like after a while, we're just going to the party and we can hardly enjoy it. You might spend 15 minutes and without distractions, just sitting there thinking about maybe a, a vacation or a place that you've been that really created peace, like focusing on a beautiful mountain or a lake or a river that you've been by, or maybe the beach, or maybe a snow-covered mountain, or skiing, snow, picturing in your mind, snow that was just fallen without any footsteps in it. Or in our case, it might be a beautiful desert. I go and climb a mountain near me, and I look in Phoenix in the beautiful desert, and uh, it just makes you just sort of relax a little bit. Find something that reduces your stress by clearing your mind. Slow your breathing down. Sometimes we need to just physically take a deep breath and just stop just for a few minutes and gather ourselves. Just want to remind you, this is Alan Heller with Walking Our Talk. We're trying to connect people with God and each other and learn how to do what we say and say what we do in a biblical fashion. If you want to contact us, you can go to our website, walkandtalk.org, or you can communicate with me, alan, A-L-A-N, at walkandtalk.org. Number eight, seek professional help. Sometimes you may need to go to a counselor during uh, the holiday or before the holiday to make a plan. 
You may find yourself feeling persistently sad or anxious. You may be plagued by physical uh, complaints, unable to sleep, irritable, hopeless, unable to face your routines. If you find yourself in that position, you may want to get a checkup by your doctor. Or you may want to talk to a good friend, or you may need to see a counselor. Take control of the holidays. Don't let the holidays become something you dread. Instead, take steps to prevent the stress and depression that can descend during the holidays. Learn to recognize the triggers, the things that set you off. Another thing, of course, that really puts pressure on us is the pressure to feel like we have to buy everyone presents. And I know some families have, you know, that are like 20 or 30 people that gather, they just pick one person in the hat. They put numbers in a hat, and you only get one person that you have to buy a present for rather than trying to please everybody. Learn to recognize the holiday triggers such as financial pressures or personal demands so that you can combat them before they even cause you to melt down. With a little planning, you can have joy in these holidays. We sing these songs, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And sometimes we've just had a fight with our spouse or we've had an argument in our family and then we come to church and we don't know how to regroup. And what I would say is just when you overreact or when you lose it, One, go to the Lord and just tell him, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me for messing up. And then two, go to the person and just say to them, I'm really sorry. I realized that I overreacted and please forgive me. Again, I I think you need to, uh, there's an expression, you need to figure out what hill are you going to die on? We, We don't want to make everything a big deal. So learn to let some things go that really don't matter that much. So I was thinking, uh, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ our Lord. I hope this Christmas will be the best Christmas you've ever had because your focus is on the Lord and not on the presence. I have a message called, Do you want presence or do you want his presence? And of course, our desire is to really put our focus on the babe that was born in a manger and became our savior and then died on a cross so we could have life. And if you've never made that decision, Christmas time is a great time to come to know the Lord. And so ask him, Lord, I don't know how to live this life. I need you to come into my life. I need you to make me the kind of person you want me to be. Please forgive me for my sin and make me the person you want me to be. So ask him for forgiveness and then just ask him, Lord, come into my life right now so that I can enjoy the real reason for the season. I hope you've had a good year as you look to the new year. I pray that you'll be able to walk your talk in everything you do. Till next time, we look forward to talking with you and helping you to walk your talk. Remember, it's no longer I who live, Galatians 2.20 says. It's Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And also Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord rather than men. Take the time to make this holiday a great time by spending time with the Lord and loving those who you love the most, even if they have idiosyncrasies. This is Alan Heller with Walk and Talk. Have a great Christmas holiday. This has been Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller, where we put into action those principles we know from God's Word, one step at a time. You can find more help at our website, walkandtalk.org. Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary PHX in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Peace Has a Name. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. I want to read it from the Gospel of Luke. I want to uh, read beginning with chapter 8, verse 14. Probably you know this story. I don't want to give it away if you don't, so I'm going to read it. And in the same way, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. 
And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. Peace is the central message of the New Testament. In fact, it's the central message of the Bible. Believe it or not, I didn't count them myself, but I've been told that 365 times the Bible talks about peace. Hey, that's peace for every day, isn't it? Peace sums up the message of the gospel. And I got to thinking about it, and I realized that the peace the angels declared was actually threefold. The peace that the angels spoke about is found in a person. This was declared in an ancient prophecy given to the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. This is what the prophecy predicts about the child who would come and would be the Messiah. Isaiah 9.6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and can you fill in the blank what? Prince of Peace. That's who is going to come, and he would be the Messiah. We sing about Jesus at Christmas time, and we remind ourselves that he is the Prince of Peace. The words of the Christmas carol, like Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, are familiar to us. The words say, Hail, the newborn Prince of Peace. When we sing Silent Night, as I referred to already, we talk about sleep in heavenly peace. Jesus is the source of peace. In one of the earliest sermons that we have recorded in the Bible, in the book of Acts, this is part of the sermon. It says, this is the message of good news. Remember, the angel says, I'm bringing you good news. This is the message of good news, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. This is the good news of peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now, I said I've come to the conclusion that God's peace is threefold, and here's what I've seen. I just want to bring it up. First of all, God promises us future peace. Christian believers have a very optimistic view of the Savior of the future because we believe we have a Savior who is going to return to this earth, and he's going to set up a righteous kingdom, and it's going to be a kingdom of peace on earth. He's going to establish that. And so if you're a pessimistic Christian, you need to go back and read the end of the Bible, right, gang? Because the Bible says in the end, there's peace. And let me just tell you, we win because God wins, amen? And so we win. And so we have a very optimistic, yeah, stuff's happening. Stuff's always happened. But we have peace for the future because we know that Jesus is coming back to this earth. Now in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples who are very bummed out. They are anxious because they don't know what is about to happen. Jesus has been talking about leaving them. Jesus has been talking about dying. He's been talking about suffering and and them not knowing where he's going and not being able to come with him and 
And so they were very troubled. And in John 14, Jesus speaks these words to them. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go and prepare a place for you in order that where I am, there I will, you may be also. He says, if I go, I will come back so that where I am, there you may also be. God promised that Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is going to return really physically, visibly to this earth and set up an eternal kingdom of peace. That's our promise for the future. And that affects the present. Jesus says, don't be fearful. Don't be anxious. Why? Well, I'm prepping a place for you right now, and I guarantee that you're going to be with me. One day the sky is going to open, guys, and Jesus Christ is literally going to visibly return, and he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth, and that's going to be an amazing day. Can you say amen to that? The first time Jesus came, someone said, he was veiled in the form of a child. A star marked his arrival. Wise men brought him gifts. There was no room for him, and only a few attended his birth. The next time Jesus comes, he will be recognized by all. Heaven will be lit by his glory. He will bring rewards for his own. The world won't be able to contain his glory. Every eye will see him, and he will become sovereign king and Lord of all. That's the bright future. The Bible says that as at that time that the Lord will settle international disputes. I'm quoting from the prophet Isaiah. The Lord will settle international disputes. All the nations will convert their weapons of war into implements of peace. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. We won't need the UN. Well, we don't need the UN anyway. It's important that this prophecy that I just read to you is repeated twice in the Bible by two different prophets using the exact same words. God wants us to know there is future peace. The Lord will settle international disputes. Nations won't be using all their money for an arms race. In fact, Isaiah the prophet says, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The Bible says that during this time of future peace, God himself will be with us and God will wipe every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more pain. You gotta say amen to that. Thank you, Lord. I'm looking forward to that. Now you understand why Christians call this the blessed hope, this future peace we call the blessed hope. Most of our worries, you know, are created by worrying about what might happen in the future to somebody we love or to ourselves. You know, I also have read that most of what we worry about never comes 
to, to place, you know, and you might worry about that. Well, am I worrying about something that's not going to happen? I don't know. But people will go to great lengths to try to find out what the future holds. They'll go to psychics. I got to laugh about psychics. I keep getting off course, but I have to laugh because there was a psychic on an intersection and they started going out of business and the psychic place was for sale for like three years. And I thought, what is with you? Wouldn't you have known psychically that is not the place to buy in the first place? Wouldn't you psychically know the realtor to call or just know you call, forget the realtor's fee, you just call the person that's going to buy the place. I mean, what's up, right? Or people go and they have, look at their astrology and try to figure out what this, or they read their, their tea leaves or their coffee grounds or whatever they do, I don't know. By the way, uh, the messages in fortune cookies are not a good way or a reliable source about your future. Did you know that? Or maybe they are. One read, you will be hungry again in one hour. <laughs> okay, well, maybe. Another read, you are not illiterate. And pity the poor guy who broke open his cookie and got this one. You will go on a date with a beautiful woman. She could do so much better. <laughs> Obviously, the only one who knows the future is the God of the future. Amen. Amen. You don't even have to fear the future when it comes to death. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he or she dies, will continue to go on living. You hear that? I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. Of course he is. He died. He rose again. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will continue to go on living. Jesus is literally saying that the moment you stop breathing, boom, you are with him. There's not a nanosecond of separation from God if you know Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. That's the word of God. Amen. So through Jesus, we do have a future peace. But also through Jesus, we can experience what I'll call present peace. Peace has never been a long-term residence on this earth, that's for sure. I read this. The Society of International Law in London states, listen, that during the last 4,000 years, there's only been 268 years of peace. And that's in spite of peace treaties. During this time, more than 8,000 peace treaties were made and broken. In the last three centuries, there have been 268 wars in Europe. And currently, there are 812 conflicts around the world, and currently, right now, 68 countries involved in war. Right now! Where's peace? People's lives are falling apart. They're going up in smoke. I read that since the beginning on recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. When someone asks horror writer Stephen King, I would be afraid to ask, that's just me. When someone asks horror writer Stephen King about how to get peace, he said, my prescription for peace, die. There is none to be had on this earth. My prescription for peace, die. 
There's none to be had on this earth. Well, I would say, really, I kind of agree with him, maybe only here, but that is true, that apart from the Prince of Peace, you really don't have a lot of peace on earth. Jesus will give you peace because he is who he claimed to be, the Prince of Peace. In John chapter 14, again talking to these distressed disciples of his, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Okay, we already see. If there's been 8,000 peace treaties made and broken in the history of the world and there's only been 260 years of peace in 4,000 years of time, the peace of the world is not the peace I want. How about you, gang? That's not what I want. I want the peace that Jesus gives. He says, peace I give to you, my peace I give to you. Jesus' personal own peace. And when I think about Jesus' peace, there is a story that comes to mind, and it's found in the scripture. You may have heard about it, but uh, it happened on the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've been there a bazillion times to the Sea of Galilee. I've been around there. Now, uh, the Sea of Galilee is like 11 miles long, maybe seven miles wide, and because of the, the geographical area where it is, storms, winds can, can whip up storms in just minutes, and it can be like a mini hurricane going on that lake. I've been in one, but I was in a bigger vessel, and we got off the lake just in time. But the disciples are with Jesus. Jesus was exhausted. He had been teaching lakeside and he said let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side so his disciples get into the boat is like a tiny fishing boat it barely fit all 13 of them 12 disciples plus Jesus hardly fit them all and of course while they're on the lake the worst thing happens right a storm kicks up this storm is so bad that the disciples are sure they're going to sink and as the boat is swamped, they're bailing, but they, they can't bail fast enough to keep the water out. And then s- suddenly somebody thinks, well, where's Jesus? They found him. He was asleep. He fell asleep. What? In fact, they were a little irritated. How can you sleep right now? Don't you know we are sinking? In fact, the Bible says they said, don't you care that we are sinking? Come on. Of course Jesus cares when you're in hard times. Some of you are in storms. I see, I know, and I know you. You're in storms. I want you to know that Jesus is in the boat with you in the midst of the storm, and yes, he cares. And if that's all you need to hear tonight, that's what you need. Yes, he cares for you in the midst of your storm. He is the Prince of Peace. Now, what happened was Jesus stood up and rather than help Baal, he did what Jesus does most and he stopped the storm. He stood up and he commanded and the storm stilled and the disciples immediately went to the side of the lake that God, Jesus wanted them to be. So when I think about peace and I think about Jesus saying, my peace I give to you, my very own peace I give to you, I think, whoa, this is the peace I want. So he goes on to say, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it fear. There's something about the letting it, isn't there? Don't let it. Don't let it be troubled. Don't let it fear. Jesus said that peace was found in him. He goes on to say in the same book of John, not longer from there, he says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you in order that in me 
you may have peace. Where is peace found? Somebody tell me, good and loud. In Jesus. In Jesus. If you don't have the Prince of Peace, you're never going to have peace. You've got to meet Jesus' condition, and that is to know him and have a personal relationship with him. So we have future peace. We have present peace. And then I was thinking through Jesus, the Prince of Peace, we can have peace with our past. You know, I said earlier there are a lot of wars going on in this world, but I didn't say was that the greatest war is the one that's between people and God. It might not be an open war with you and God. It might be like the Cold War. It's not a, a battle, you know, in a field someplace, but, but there is a Cold War going on between you and God. I don't know, maybe you're not aware with it. But the Bible says that though you might not feel openly hostile toward God, if you don't know him, you've sinned against him, and that means that you're at war with God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's minimum wage, right? The wages of sin is death. Somehow we have to be reconciled with God. How is this going to happen? Because I don't want to die, and the death here isn't like I die, they have a funeral for me, and it's over. This death means eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from God, and don't shoot the messenger, okay? I'm just reporting the truth, but the Bible says that eternal separation from God is separation forever from God in a place called hell. Well, how could God... A loving God create hell for people. Let me tell you, the Bible makes it clear that God didn't create hell for people. Boom. All right? God created hell for the devil and his angels, and I have to say, all right, good on God, right? That's where they need to go for all the evil and sin that they have created. But if you are eternally separated from God, that's where you're headed. And God says, I don't want that to happen. The wages of sin is death. So somehow we got to be reconciled with God. How can it happen? I read something that is very interesting. i got to share this story with you. It's really happened. Back in the 1950s, the whole world was shocked when five missionaries were murdered by a very primitive tribe, the Aka Indians in South America. They were um, primitives. They were cannibals. They, they were uh, totally cut off from civilization. It never had contact with any kind of, of civilization. The missionaries came in and they murdered them. Later, the tribe welcomed the wife of one of the martyred missionaries and the sister of another one of the missionaries who had died. And that's when the translation work began on the Aka New Testament. Translators had a difficulty putting into exact words, some terminology, because they didn't really have those words in their language. One of the words they didn't have a word for was reconciliation. How are we going to translate this into their language? And they searched and searched for an equivalent word, but they couldn't find any. Then one day, one of the translators was on a trip with the Indians, and they had needed to cross the trail, but they found instead this, this huge, deep ravine, and there was no way getting across it, and there was no way to move forward. So the missionary thought, oh, I'm stuck. And then what the Aka Indians did, 
which you might think is a no-brainer, is they took out their machetes and they started chopping down a tree. The tree fell over the ravine and they walked across on the tree. The Akas called that tree across the ravine. <laughs> and the missionary translator thought, boom, that's reconciliation. God made a tree across the ravine through Jesus Christ. The cross is our bridge. It bridges the chasm that separates us from God. When we come to faith in Christ, Jesus comes into our life and there is this separation. There is this, God is on the one side, the Bible says, and all the people are on the other side. And Jesus is the one who is able to bridge the gulf between us. Think of the cross. You can see what the cross looks like. You know in your mind. There's that center part of the cross. You could walk across the cross, but then you come to like a gate. See what I mean? And you gotta walk through that if you're gonna get to the other side. And that gate is Jesus and it's faith in Jesus. Putting your trust in Christ. The wages of sin is death. But God says, I don't want that for you. It goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I think we have a Christmas tree, and in our Christmas tree, we've got gifts. And some of you are going to be opening those tonight or tomorrow, and some of you kids are going to love it, you know, you're looking forward to it. And some of you really big kids we are talking are looking forward to what's going to be under that tree for us. But you know, the cross is God's Christmas tree. And underneath the cross is a gift, the gift of eternal life. A while back, Quite a few years now ago, our family was driving around in our van, and we were looking at Christmas lights on Christmas Eve, and we came to one yard, and they had, you know, the nativity, they had Joseph, Mary, baby, Jesus, and then above it, they had, they had something that was really big, and I thought, as we were coming around the corner, that's a really strange star, it's way too tall, it's too wide, what is that? And I came around the corner, and I realized, that's not a star, that's a cross, that's a cross. The real sign of Christmas is not the manger. The real star of Christmas is the cross. You've been in a church, I'm sure, where up front they have a cross and Jesus is hanging on the cross. When you look at that, you have to understand that that is a very good picture of Christianity. It's a very good picture of how God saves us. When I look at the cross, I think, well, there are many symbols of Christianity, but I don't wear a manger around my neck, do you? I don't have a little pendant with a manger. Cross is a symbol of Christianity. Why? When you look at the cross, what do you see? You see Jesus there on the cross. You see his feet pierced, his hands pierced, his head crowned with thorns, and you see that his side, his heart was punctured with a spear. Why? So I want to show you. I want to, we learn, illustrations are good, aren't they? They help me learn. And so what's the gospel is this? The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us. God made him who knew no sin. Look, let's let this white cross represent Jesus right here. Jesus was sinless and perfect, right? But the Bible says we aren't. We aren't. 
God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus was perfect even when he was standing before his accusers and they were paid to try to make up accusations. None of them could agree. Pilate, the judge, said, I don't find any fault in him. He even washed his hands of the case. Do you remember that? But still, they crucified him. They took him off to be crucified. Now, note this. Jesus did not fight. He didn't resist. He didn't let your hands off me. I don't want to die. He didn't do any of that. He went willingly to the cross. No one was making him go to the cross. He went because he loved us. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Now, the deal is, we are not sinless, are we? I mean, let's let this red cross represent us and our sinfulness. I mean, if I pass the cross around and you were just to write down honestly and maybe anonymously your sins, some of you would fill the cross. You'd need the backside too, right? I would too. Okay, we're in safe company. We're all sinners. The wages of sin is what, gang? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what happened. The Bible says God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us. On the cross, all our sins were placed on Jesus. Again, let me remind you, his feet were pierced. Did his feet ever go any place they shouldn't? No. Have ours? Yes. We deserve to be punished. His hands were nailed to the cross. Did his hands ever deserve to be nailed? Had his hands ever been done anything wrong? No, they blessed, they healed. Our hands have all touched things we shouldn't, done things they shouldn't, taken things they shouldn't. Why was his heart, head crowned with thorns? He had never had any lousy, gross, impure thoughts. He never intended to think anything bad. Our head should be crowned with thorns. Why was his heart pierced? He loved God with all his heart, soul, and mind. But we haven't. We deserve to have that punishment. See, on the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what we deserve. And then on the cross, he died. And just before he died, he cried out, it is finished. Which literally means paid in full. What did he pay? He paid the debt we owe God. The wages of sin is death. We owe God a debt. We're at war with God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you know what? When Jesus rose from the dead three days later, what happened to your sin and my sin if we believe in Jesus? What? The sin is gone. Amen. It was paid for. Can you say amen to that? Jesus completely took away our sins. That's the gospel. And that's what the Prince of Peace has come to do. Now, when we say we're going to believe in Jesus, just look real carefully. When we say we're going to believe in Jesus, it means I believe in Jesus. I'm looking to Jesus and Jesus only to save me. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody can come to the Father except through Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the only way I can have peace with God. Without Jesus, I'm at war with God, but with Jesus, I'm at peace with God, only through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says, can we have life? Can we have eternal life? Can we be certain of heaven? And can we have peace with our past? Because Jesus will completely forgive all your sins. 
I was talking to somebody yesterday. He was struggling. He says, I've done such terrible things. I just can't forgive myself. Well, it doesn't matter if you can't forgive yourself. What matters is that God has forgiven yourself. God has forgiven your sins. And they do not count against you when you come to Christ. Your sins are forgiven. The worst thing you've done. He says, yeah, but I blaspheme God. I said terrible things about God. I said terrible things about Jesus. I said, did you accept Jesus as your Savior? Yes. I quoted Jesus' own words. Jesus said, all manner of sin and blasphemy will be forgiven to you. Jesus will forgive anything you do up to the point when you die. When you die and you haven't accepted Jesus, there's a problem. Jesus has the door open. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone will open his life up to me, open up the door, I'll come into him and I'll be his friend or her friend for life. Now look, the best gift you could ever have is not going to be found in any tree. The best gift that you could find is it what this is called sometimes in the Bible, the tree. The tree where Jesus died. And maybe you've had this little Cold War thing going on with God. I don't think it's an accident. You're here. I don't believe in that. I believe in divine appointments. I do, all the time. I believe God has these divine appointments. And you've been prayed for. You heard already, some of you by name. Some of you have never had so much prayer in your entire life because this is the most important time of your life and that is when you hear the gospel you have the opportunity to believe God opens the door and he says come on one translation of a verse in the Bible says God was in Christ hugging the world to himself God wants you he wants you to accept him to believe in him and he set it all up this is one big setup right now because God loves you the Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What's calling on the name of the Lord? That's code for prayer, okay? That's what it is. If we'll call on God and we'll sincerely say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. God, I need a new life. I need a new start, and I'm going to give you my life. God, I believe that Jesus died was buried, he rose from the dead for me. If we will call on God sincerely, the Bible says we will become new creations. The old things will pass away, new things will come. And so I want to give you that invitation to pray with me right now. I'd like us to bow our heads. I'd like us to close our eyes wherever you are. It's just going to be between you, me, and God, but you're going to pray it with all your heart. And I'm just going to pray it phrase by phrase because maybe you don't even know what to say. There's no right or wrong prayer here, but just pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for loving me and for sending Jesus to die for all the wrong things that I've done. I'm sorry for my sins. I want to turn from them. I don't want to be at war with you anymore. I believe Jesus is the Prince of Peace and I need his peace in my life. Please make me a new person. Give me a new start in my life.
hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Cause Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as
Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcasts. You can easily play this week's or past week's program, or even download them on your device in just a few minutes. Search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes stores now. Coming up next is Understanding Israel. Hello, everyone. This is Susan Holtgrew, your host for our program series, Understanding Israel. So far in our studies, we have looked at the feasts celebrated by the Jewish people and how we believers can celebrate them too. We have looked at prophecy regarding the nation of Israel, past, present, and future. Today we are going to look at God's covenant with the nation of Israel and what it means for us today. So let's look at Genesis chapter 15. Abram had just rescued Lot and all his possessions from the war of the kings and had been blessed by Melchizedek, king of Salem. In verses 1 through 12, we read, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens, and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And then Abram believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him, and cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell over Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Now let's skip to verses 17 through 19 and read. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Let's take a look at this passage and see what is really going on here. God promised Abram a nation and a land. During this time, when people made a covenant with each other, they took various animals and cut them in two pieces. 
and the two people would walk back to back between them, reciting the promise each one was responsible for, and a curse for the one who would break their promise. And the curse being, may the person who breaks the promise be cut in two like these animals. God knew that Abram, being a sinner, would not be able to keep his end of the promise. So God caused Abram to go into a deep sleep, and God himself walked between the pieces to secure the promise and the covenant. Now let's go to chapter 17 in Genesis and read from verses 1 through 8. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God again tells Abraham that the covenant he made with Abraham is an everlasting covenant, that he would be the father of many nations, and all the land of Canaan would be an everlasting possession. Abraham, the father of Isaac, who was the father of Jacob, whom God renamed as Israel, was the beginning of that great nation. God chose Abraham by grace, and over the centuries, the children of Israel turned away from God many times. God disciplined them many times, as a father would discipline his child whom he loves. Because of the covenant God made, he will never abandon them or stop loving them. In Jeremiah chapter 31, God is speaking about a new covenant he will make with Israel, and in verses 35 through 37, he says, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, If the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. In other words, after the tribulation and after the millennial kingdom, when God makes a new heaven and a new earth as described in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, then the nation of Israel will be no more. Now let's move into the New Testament. During Paul's time, as well as today, there were people who believed that because the Jews rejected Jesus, that God rejected Israel. Aside from what we had just read in the Old Testament regarding God's covenant with Israel being everlasting, meaning eternal, 
Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 31, where he writes, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened, just as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to the very day. And David said, Let their table become a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not, and bend their backs forever. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now if their transgression is riches for the world, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. If the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them, and became a partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, 
that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But for the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy." Paul made a very good point that Israel is not cast away from God. God has given them a temporary blindness in order to bring Gentiles into a saving knowledge of Jesus. We Gentile believers have been grafted into the family of Abraham. We are not better than the Jews, and we have not replaced the Jews. The olive tree, which is God, and the natural branches, which are the Jews, are still in place, and we believing Gentiles, being the wild olive branches, are chosen by God and carefully grafted into his family tree. In closing, I want to leave you with God's words from Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, where God says, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God bless Israel. God bless you. Until next time, goodbye.
promise good to me His word, my hope secures He will my share and portion me As long as life endures My chains are We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.